Uh, if you weren't with us last week, uh, we started a new series in the book of First John. And so we're going to pick up with that this week. And this letter that we're looking at is a letter uh, that the Apostle John, the beloved disciple that was with Jesus, that spent time with him, that walked with him on earth and, and was one of his intimate disciples for three years in his earthly ministry, is now an old man. And he's writing to the church and he's writing to encourage them with the things that they're seeing and the things that are in front of them, the things that are going on and they're dealing with. And so we started last week and he starts with this very beginning in first John about how uh, God has been made manifest to us that Jesus, the eternal word of life, has come into the world and he's offering us fellowship with God. And he says, I want you to have that fellowship that we have and be part of that. And then he says that our joy may be complete. And he talks about how the fullness of joy that we would have is found in our fellowship with our heavenly father. And what he's done for us in Jesus. And then he's going to start to unfold in this book about the ways in which we miss that and the ways that we struggle with that. The ways that the things that rob our joy. And one of the themes that emerges in this book of first John is the darkness. There's a lot of talk about darkness and light and how Jesus and how God is the light and in having fellowship with him. We must walk in the light and so thinking about that as, as we step into the second section, really, as he starts to get into kind of the teaching here uh, that he's reminding us of in this book, that he's calling us to this fellowship with God, that our joy may be complete. But I just want to ask the question as we begin, would you characterize your Christian walk day in and day out as a completeness of joy that in every moment overflowing with a completeness of joy and in all things and in all ways? And I think if we're honest and we really start to think about that, there's days when maybe it doesn't feel quite like that. Some days it's harder than others. Some days we wake up and it's difficult. Uh, we, we might know that joy and I hope that you do and you've put your faith in Jesus. And there's days when we gather and we sing and it's an overflow and it's a very clear reality of our lives. But there's some days it's difficult. And what John's going to tell us and the things he's going to bring out is because there is darkness in this world and it is due to the sin of mankind that we have sinned. We have rebelled against God. I say this frequently. All sin is rebelling or ignoring God in the world he created. And as man sinned, sin entered into the world and there's a darkness that comes with it. And all throughout our world, it's still here and it's still real and we come up against it at different times. And so this darkness, when we talk about the Bible, is owed to sin and rebellion against God. But it manifests in all sorts of different ways. When you read through the Bible, it talks about things that are darkness and the way it talks about them. Sometimes it's talking about the general sin and evil of the world. But sometimes it's talking about ignorance, being devoid of wisdom. Sometimes it's talking about impurity or lust or sexual sin. Other times it's violence or insecurity or fear. But a lot of times it's also self-centeredness. And in all these ways and all these things that we experience this darkness every day, it robs the joy that we are created to have in fullness in Jesus. And so John is going to start to unpack for us and talk to us about what it means to walk in the light. And walking in this light is where we will find this fullness of joy that God has for us in Christ. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at verses 5 through 10 of 1 John chapter 1. And there's three things that I want you to see here as he's talking about walking in the light and the fullness of joy that God has for us. And the first part would say is we have to get the starting point right. Secondly, we have to be rooted in the truth. And then lastly, we have to see how all of it comes together in Jesus. 
So we have to get the starting point right. It has to be rooted in the truth. And then we have to see how all of it holds together in Jesus to be walking in the light, this fullness of joy that is available to us in Christ. And so let's just start with the first part there, that starting point of how do we get the starting point right? And look at the first thing he says there in verse five. This is the message that we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so just as he begins in verse one and now in verse five, after that introduction, he does the same thing in both. He starts with God. Right. Verse one, he says, in the beginning, which we've heard and which we've seen with our eyes and which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And he starts to unpack that that's Jesus. And so he starts with Jesus. And then here in verse five, he starts with God and in him is no darkness and he is light. And so the thing that John does when he talks about the starting point of the things that we're dealing with in this life is that we behold first the glory of God. We start with God first. That's the starting point. He doesn't start with maybe the way we might normally think of starting when we're struggling, when things are going on. Remember, he's writing to a church that's struggling with with uh, people that have walked away from the faith and those that are trying to deceive people. And they're they're dealing with all these different things. But what he starts with is not with starting with yourself and how you think about things and how you feel about things. But he turns and he says, let's gaze at God who in who in him is no darkness. He is light. Let's start with God's holiness. Let's start with who God is. So God is only good. He is perfect in every way. We just saying that you are perfect in all your ways. He is good and he is right and he is just. And he says, let us gaze upon God's goodness. He is perfect light and in him is no darkness. And all he is and all he does and all he controls, it will bring it to good because God is good. And we start there with him first and foremost, because when we don't and we don't start with that, we will turn to a self-centeredness and we start with ourselves and we make it all about me. And I start to exchange that. Uh, Paul uses the language in Romans. We exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship the creation rather than the creator. We invert the way we were made. We were made to have God be at the center of all things. But in our self-centeredness and our sin in darkness, to walk in darkness is to make ourselves the center of all things. Um, I often think of it. Maybe it's my background in architecture, in the, in the way a building is made. If you were to look at how this building is made, and you probably know this, but down at the bottom is the foundation and it's made of concrete and great big uh, footings that are poured to hold up the building and it's really heavy and weighty and it has to be done that way and then on top of that the walls inside these walls if you could look in them is two by sixes or two by fours that hold this building up and so it's wood much lighter things on top of the foundation and it stands because it's on that firm foundation but if you were to take this building and you were to turn it upside down what would happen suddenly all the weight would be on the top and the things that are lighter that are not as weighty would be trying to hold it up and either it would collapse immediately or maybe it would be held up for a time. But over time, it would start to collapse in on itself. And it is the same when we put ourselves at the center of all things rather than God at the center of all things. When we start with us rather than with God, we are out of sorts with the way we are made, the way the world was created. And it causes all sorts of issues. We start to make it about me and what I want and the way I think and what makes me comfortable and what makes me happy and what I deserve. And suddenly I'm in trouble. 
because I wasn't created to be that way. I wasn't created to be the center of the universe. And so John here, getting the starting point, if we're going to walk in a fullness of fellowship with God, we're going to walk in the light. We're going to have this joy that is complete. We start with God and we place him at the center. Because when we don't, we put ourselves at the center and it causes all kinds of issues. Uh, For example, just think of the Ten Commandments and we could go through all of them, but I'm just going to think for a second about uh, covet. Do not covet your neighbor's things. What happens in coveting what other people have, we start to look at our neighbors or our friends or people around us and we go, wouldn't life be great if I had the car that that guy has? Or wouldn't life be great if I could live in that house? Or wouldn't life be great if I had this job and I got to take that much vacation or I got to go on these trips and suddenly I'm all about me and what I believe I'm owed and I'm making comparisons to other people and I'm not fixated on God's goodness and who he is and what he is owed as the creator and author of life. But I'm all about me and it makes us really miserable really quickly. It devolves very quickly into the darkness that John's talking about. We start to walk in that darkness that's rooted in comparisons, that's rooted in, in, in wanting what other people have. It's really rooted in this idea that I deserve certain things. This is what is owed to me. But what John starts with is that Jesus is the eternal word of life that spoke all things into existence. Gaze upon God who in him is no darkness. He is perfect light. He says, that's where your focus should be. And that should be the starting point. The root of all the darkness that we struggle with is when we forget that fact. When we remove God from his rightful place as the center of all things. And we worship the creation rather than the creator. And quickly that devolves into darkness. But the second thing I would say to you is not only do we make God the center of all things, but we have to approach him in the truth. In the way that he was revealed. Notice what John says here. And just a tip as you read your Bible. One of those Bible study tips. When there is something repeated, it's usually pretty important. And so if you look in verse 6 and in verse 8 and verse 10, look at what John says. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He says almost the exact same thing, just a little different way. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. And so he's rooting and grounding us in the truth. And Jesus is the truth. He is the eternal word of life that created all things. And so when we start to think about how we should approach God. Yes, he is first. If we are going to walk in this fellowship and be in the light and have this fullness of joy, God is first. But then we approach him the way he has revealed himself. And if we don't, if we start to twist and distort that, that quickly devolves into darkness as well. There's this phrase today, and, and I shouldn't be as hard on it as I am in my mind anyway, that drives me nuts. But people say all the time, uh, you tell your truth. I'm going to tell my truth and you tell your truth. And people say that all the time. And I think what they mean to, to assume the best. I think what they mean is like you tell your story and your experience and what you've experienced. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what drives me crazy about it is truth is not subjective. And when you say you tell your truth and I tell my truth, we're butchering what truth actually means. It doesn't really matter. Truth is truth. 
Now, getting at it might be harder, but we say that a lot. And underneath that is the assumption that truth is subjective, that what you think is true for you and what I think is true for me. But that's not what truth means. And when we start to look at what the Bible says and what it talks about, it tells us that truth is not subjective, but it comes from what God says, because he is the creator of all reality. He is the eternal word of truth that has always existed, that spoke all things into existence. So what he says is what is true. Not only is it true, but he is the creator of reality. The way he says things are are the way they are. He is the eternal word of life. And so if we seek to have fellowship with God on the way I feel about it, rather than the way he has revealed himself quickly, that will devolve into darkness. And we'll begin to rob our joy because we are out of sorts with the one who created us. The one who alone can give us meaning and purpose and fullness of joy in our life. And so if we don't approach him in the way that he is, we're not really worshiping God as he is. And so I'm going to say this and I might step on your toes. And so forgive me if that's the case. But how you feel about God and what you feel about who he is and the way he's defined doesn't matter. It matters how God has revealed who he is. That is his word stands over my feelings. There are times when I come to the Bible and I get cut. I get cut deeply. Hebrews, it says the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two edged sword. And it cuts me to the very divisions of who I am as a person. And I go, I don't like the way that feels. And I have a choice to make. I'm either going to approach God the way he's revealed himself or I'm going to let him stand under subjection of how I feel about it. And as soon as I start to operate that way, then that leads to darkness. It leads to a distortion of who God is. And so we must approach God in the way that he is revealed. See, God alone defines what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God. If we as people get together and decide that something is not bad and it's okay, and God says it's sin, it's sin. It doesn't really matter how we collectively feel about it. God is the one that defines reality. And that's very hard for us. It's very hard in our culture. And we struggle with that. And so how we feel about God and what we feel is true doesn't define who God is. It's how God reveals himself. And so we must approach him in that way. And so when we call sin good, what John's talking about here, the truth is not in us. We're walking in darkness. And so we do that regularly. And I would say to you, we not only do it regularly, but it can be a very subtle thing in our life. We can easily be deceived because of the wickedness or the sinfulness of our own hearts, the darkness in us. And so we start to say things that are good that God has said are not good. And we start to hold up different things in our world. And so I've been thinking about, well, what does that look like today when man calls evil good, when we lie and don't practice the truth, as he says here, we walk in the darkness, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And as I thought about this and I prayed about this, I came back to this. It makes me think of the abortion debate in our country. And I started to think about that and the things that people say and the way that we talk about it and the way we we go at each other today. And on one side, we would say that life is precious and to be defended and abortion is morally wrong. And I think the Bible says that 
think the Bible says that very clearly. That God is the author and giver of life and what he bestows as life is good. And we should hold to that. Psalm 139 says you were formed. You formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother, my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God is the giver of life. And so we hold that as sacred. And we say that. But in my lifetime, I have seen a growing divide on the way we talk about it. And it's got more and more militant and more and more harsh. Uh, I remember the first election I could vote in. Uh, one side would say that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. And I don't agree with that fully. I don't think that's true, but I could at least understand their reasoning. Today, we've gotten to a place where abortion is held up as a morally good thing. Something that we should fight over. And part of the reason, I think, from what I can see and understand, is there's an idea of bodily autonomy in our culture. If you've not heard this phrase, bodily autonomy means you should be able to do what you want with your body. And by the way, I think that's a good thing. would say it like this. Uh, no one can force you to have uh, give blood. No one can force you to donate one of your organs. That is your choice. That is your body. You get to decide that. No one can force you to go somewhere you don't want to go. So we have laws against kidnapping. No one can walk up and put their lay their hands on you while we have laws against assault. Same thing sexually. No one can force you to do something sexually you don't want to do. So we have laws against rape and sexual assault. All those things are good. Those are moral goods. But what we've done is we've taken that and we've now applied it to abortion. Your bodily autonomy allows for you to decide when a baby in your womb is stopped. And that's what our culture says. And we make a big deal like it's a really good thing. The fetus is using someone else's body, the mother, and therefore under bodily autonomy is thereby permission. And the mother has right to withdraw the consent and end that life whenever they want. And our world says that is good. That, that baby doesn't have rights except for what the mother bestows on her child. What God says is that all life is precious. And it is made in his image and after his likeness. It is not for us to decide. We don't get to say when a life is a, a life. And yet we do that. We've ignored the truth of God. We have not placed him first, but ourselves first. And we trumpet that as a moral good. And is it not a moral good? It is darkness. It is calling darkness good to the tune of 61 million babies in our country. But here's the thing. Please hear me as we talk about this. I don't talk about abortion very much, and it's not because I'm afraid to talk about it. But we can easily get into this space of like, that's right. That is so bad and that's so wrong. And suddenly the darkness of my heart goes, yeah, and those people think it's good. And do you see what happens? How quickly I devolve into darkness and I start to look down on people. I would never do that. And I start to make it that instead of my heart being broken 
for all things that God cares about, I quickly can devolve into comparisons. And I still put myself at the center. And I start to look down on other people. I can't believe they would do that. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm removing God as his place at the center because God tells me that when I disagree with someone, I love them. He tells me when there's something that's not in line with his word that I am to go to them and care for them and walk with them and love them and be gracious and kind because God has been gracious and kind to me. And how quickly we can get outside of that. Do you see how deceptive the darkness is in our life? How quickly we can walk not in the truth, but in sin. And even in those debates, even in those arguments, things that we see that God clearly says, but how do we approach it? We do so with great love and mercy and graciousness because that is what God is like. And so when we think about that, how do we come to that? How do we come out of the darkness? We see God is first. We see how he has revealed himself. But then how do we work out that? Because the truth is what happens is when we put God first and we see how he's revealed, you know what happens? I get exposed. I walk into the light and I see I am desperately sinful. I see that as soon as I see this thing is good and we should talk about it. And now I'm looking down on other people. I go, oh, the sinfulness of my own heart, the wickedness of the ways that I want to look at other people. And so what is the key to that? Luckily, John tells you, I love this passage. I love what he says here in verse seven. But if we walk in the light, he is in the light. We have fellowship with one of another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The key to understanding the fullness of joy that God has for you is to walk in the light and you get exposed. But that is where you see Jesus. Jesus came to do for you what you could never do for yourself, and you get to rest in that. And so as you come into the light, it is hard, and it is scary. Confession is difficult because you get exposed that I haven't done it. I haven't done it perfectly. But he says, when you come into the light, if we walk in the light and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us. And we get to rest in the good news of who God is. And here's this amazing thing that happens. As we do, and as we confess, and as we bring our sin into the light, it's hard. And you get exposed. But what happens is God meets you in the middle of that. And your view of his holiness raises. Your view of the depths of your sin gets more clear. But when that happens, the glory of what Jesus has done for you grows. And you experience the grace of God more clearly and more fully. And that grace begins to change you from one degree of glory to another because you see the glory of what he's done for you. And he says here, if you notice, he says we have fellowship with one another when we walk in the light. You want to know how that works? You know, he said in the first part that we looked at last week that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship with the is with the father and his son jesus christ 
when we walk in the light and he says, we now have fellowship together when we confess our sins to one another. You know what happens? We go, you're just as jacked up as I am. But you know what happens is we both go and that's why we desperately need Jesus. And we get to remind each other the glory of the goodness of God and what he's done for us in Jesus. And true unity and fellowship grows out of rooting and grounding our identity in Jesus. And we start to see more clearly, yes, I desperately need Jesus and you desperately need Jesus. And we begin to love Jesus that much more because of what he's done for us. I don't have anything else to offer here except that Jesus has saved me. And you go, yeah, me too. (laughs) And then there's this fellowship that grows out of that. Instead of hiding and pretending that we've got it all together, we go, yes, we desperately need Jesus. And we begin to grow in this fellowship of what God has done for us. And we rest in that. And that's where the fullness of joy comes. To be fully known, but then to recognize in Jesus that you're fully loved. He knows every bit of it. And so I'm going to end with this. I didn't mean to make this a sermon, and I hope you don't leave that way thinking about a sermon on abortion. But whenever that comes up, I'm so glad that it's on this passage, and that was purposeful in this. If you've been through that, you've been part of that, you've seen that, you've, you've experienced it in your life, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God loves you completely and totally and fully. And it's because of what Jesus has done and nothing else. There is nothing in your life that you can hide that he doesn't already know about. And there's nothing in your life that you can confess that he can't forgive you because of what Jesus has done. And that is the glory of the good news of the gospel. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of walking in the light. I pray that you would help us to see you more clearly for who you are. That you are a great God that is full of grace and mercy that is calling us to yourself. But that you call us not to yourself to give us rules and things to follow that we would try to be accepted by you, but you do what we could never do for us and we can rest in that. I thank you. I pray that you would continue to draw us near to you. I pray that you would continue to draw us near to each other, that we would have the fellowship that only comes from knowing and loving you. And we pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.